Welcome to the Tim Fowler Show, where production is paramount and we discuss the tools, time, and people associated with getting jobs done and making a profit. On today's episode of the Tim Fowler Show, we will be talking about the skills gap in the U.S. and the Keep Crap Alive movement with the help of special guest Rob Yeagid of Fine Home Building. Alongside Tim Fowler, I'm your co-host Steve Wheeler. Here is the Tim Fowler Show. Hello, everyone. I'm Tim Fowler, and welcome to the Tim Fowler Show. Probably for the last 10 years or so, people have been saying to me, and it doesn't really matter where I am, people have been saying, I don't know what it's like in your part of the world, but we can't find good help here. And what that usually means is that they can't find highly trained, skilled craftsmen that they can just put on a job and require no training. I think in general, the industry has done a very, very poor job of training people and probably because for many, many years, and certainly when I was coming up in the trades, uh, it was just sort of grassroots. It was inherited skill. It was just people went into this business for whatever reason. And nowadays that just isn't happening. And so after I heard this question about where can we find good help too many times, I started asking So what are you doing about it? And the general answer always was, I put an ad in the paper, or as we got into other technologies, I put an ad on Craigslist. And simply putting an ad in the paper or on Craigslist didn't change the fact that the people just aren't out there. And so in essence, as an industry, we've become very lazy in terms of training people up into our industry. The joke that I've consistently made with companies is we'll get young people into this business as soon as we can build a house with a Game Boy controller. And, uh, you know, I don't think that's ever going to happen unless we get robots going, but uh, that seemed to be enough fun for that. But finally, some people are doing something about it. I know uh, Nary has made some strong initiatives to try to start the process of training people, and there are others as well but I think we're starting from scratch. So I'm really excited to be talking with Rob today, who's involved in Keep Craft Alive as well as Skills USA. And it's great to get it, going to be great to hear some things that he's doing to help us with this skills gap. Hey, before we get started, I just wanted to remind everyone that registration is now open for the second annual production conference. Last year was a huge success selling out a month before the date. This year we're doing it again and it's being held Thursday, September 27th in New Orleans. It's a full day of information sessions, breakouts, and networking with other remodeling production professionals. Oh, and best of all, you get to hang out with Tim. If you're interested, go to www.productioncon.com for more information or you can get the link from the show notes. Let's get back to the show. Well, Tim, it's, you know, I talk to contractors every day from across the country, and it is one of the number one issues they're facing is I can't find good help, can't find people to hire, can't find people with uh, skills to start. And 
Uh, so it, it is a major issue, and it's great to see that uh, something's happening about it. And so I uh, want to introduce Rob Yegid. Is, he is the editorial director of Fine Home Building and GreenBuildingAdvisor.com. He is also the founding director of Keep Craft Alive, which is our initiative to help close the skills gap to celebrate craftsmanship as a valuable and honorable lifelong pursuit. Rob, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. Hey, Rob, it's so great to have you on board. This is a huge topic for people. We've done another podcast with someone who had hired some people from a trade school, and they seem to be having good luck with that. Give us a little bit about your history and and how you got into the trades and maybe how you got to where you are now. Yeah, sure. So I've been with Fine Home Building Magazine for almost a dozen years at this point. Um, but my my exposure to building and home building goes way back. My father was a home builder, uh, still is a, a, a small a smaller scale remodeling contractor at this point. So I've been around the trades my entire life. I've got uh, uncles and cousins. Everyone is involved on some level, whether they're plumbers, electricians, carpenters, builders. And so it's kind of been in my DNA for, for a long, long time. But I've always had dreams and aspirations to be uh, a magazine editor. And so despite walking job sites from the time I could walk and uh, just working with my father when I was a teenager, I did go off to college to get a degree in journalism. Um, like many people, I might, I might think if they got a degree with journalism, they went back into the, to the trades. <laughs> so uh, so yeah, I did that for a little while. <laughs> I was just thinking that exact same thing. I don't know how many contractors I've talked to that you, you say, like, what's your background? They go, oh, I have a degree in fine arts or I have sure. a degree in journalism or I have yep. a degree in English. And, and yeah. then they became contractors. Yeah. And so I was, uh, so I graduated and I it was a bit of a freelance writer. Um, but during the day I was working on a framing crew. Um, and then a job opening, uh, came, you know, opened up at fine home building for an assistant editor, junior level guy. And, uh, I applied, got the job and have been here ever since though. My role has, has changed substantially over the, over the years, but yeah. So what, um, what is the skills gap? When we talk about a skills gap, what are we talking about? Yeah. So fundamentally it's the disparity between the number of jobs available and the number of skilled employees available to fill those jobs. So it's a little bit of a supply and demand uh, equation, and we just don't have enough skilled tradesmen specifically, if we're going to keep this in the home building context, because I, I think there's multiple industries facing a skills gap in technology and you move you know, elsewhere into automotive, things like that. Um, but yeah, there's just, there, there's, there's a lot of work to be done and not enough workers to do that work. And do you so, have any, do you have any kind of data that, that yeah, so ballpark, you know, yeah, so there's a, there's shifting data, but in general, we talk about anywhere between six and a half and uh, 7 million jobs that currently need to be filled to kind of bolster the workforce to a, to a level where it, where it could be sustainable and operational. Um, and because of this disparity, you know, I think why, well, number one, to back up a little bit, I think we are a little bit late to the game. You know, um, you were talking about how now people are starting paying attention. They're starting to put investment into the people, into this issue. But unfortunately, that's only happening is because many people are feeling the pinch. So manufacturers of products are feeling the pinch because the, the pace of building has slowed because builders can't build at a rate that they would like to because they don't have the labor in place to support um, that velocity. And so it's hurting their bottom lines. And when that happens, people start paying attention. 
which is a good thing, but it's uh, it's too bad that we have to wait this long to, to get to this point. So, Rob, if, if we kind of backtrack and look at uh, historical data, is there one way that we got here uh, to have this gap? You know, I don't, you know, there's many factors involved. Um, you know, there's some political, um, you know, for instance, you know, which we don't really scratch too deeply at, uh, at fine home building and, and through this initiative, but immigration uh, definitely weighs, you know, plays a part here uh, during the recession. Um, a big uh, component of our labor pool uh, went away um, and did not come back. Um, and so, but, but largely what we're talking about and, and what we're doing with the Keep Craft Alive movement is there has, there's been a, a severe lack of celebration of the trades for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. Um, the trades have historically been looked at as an alternative to, pa- uh, as an alternative path, an alternative path to fill in the blank, an alternative path to, well, if you're not going to be a doctor, a lawyer, uh, an engineer, um, join the military, join the military or enter the trades. Yeah. And so that has created a, a public perception of the trades that isn't, that isn't, uh, that is detrimental to the workforce at large, but also to the people who, who make their living and who are passionate about um, the trades. And so when we have a, a rather negative public perception, I think you have people uh, changing course, so to speak. So maybe someone who, who did have some aspirations at one point to, to enter the, the trades. Well, if culture is, is telling them that it's not a worthwhile um, a career, um, well, then maybe they're going to skirt the issue. Maybe they're going to go and do something else. So I think that's been a really influential factor. The other issue um, I think we could all argue, and I, I think we've seen it all over the country, is just, there, is just exposure. Um, you know, when I was younger, I got exposure not only through my family, but when I was in school, I got exposed to shop class. I had mm-hmm. an opportunity to work with my hands. And at that point, for a lot of kids, they're impressionable in those years. That's when they might realize, all right, well, I've got an aptitude for this. I've got an interest in this. And so that could have kicked them into the path of, of heading down and making a great living and a fulfilling living under the trades. But without that opportunity, because of the extraction of shop class out of uh, public education, well, they never had that seed planted or they never got that um, element of inspiration. Mm-hmm. And so those are compounding factors, I think. And then ultimately it has led to a lack of interest in the trades and then just a lack of bodies moving in that direction. Yeah. And I, I mean, yeah. there's a total glamour of college at that age as well. Uh, a huge push there. And I mean, not to be on the soapbox too much, but, you know, I have young, young children and uh, as they're young in their years, they're tested in, in many ways. And, you know, there are programs that they call gifted programs and, you know, I think that singles out uh, certain kids and uh, it doesn't single out the kid that's really good at working with his hands, which I happen to be. And, uh, you know, that's why I kind of stumbled into that direction after college. But so another thing that I, you know, uh, in, in my state of Delaware, there's no barrier to entry for a carpenter or a general contractor in terms of a skills uh, of, of showing your, um, licensing or, or uh, testing for skills. Is that one of the things that you would see uh, where people would have to get licensed or a different type of monitoring of the skills that are being taught? You know, I mean, I think that that leads to some of the, you know, I don't want to glorify or I don't want to be too idealistic in my view of the industry. You know, I think that, you know, that scenario that you're facing in your state, it does foster the opportunity for people who, 
may not be qualified contractors to be doing the work of a contractor. Mm. And I think that tends to have resounding implications when, you know, let's face it, every contractor is not a good contractor. Every contractor is not an honorable contractor and those bad eggs, so to speak, you know, do, um, do kind of ruin and tarnish the perception of contractors for a whole lot of people who are very talented, very committed, who will get training, who will get certification, whether mm-hmm. it's required or not to advance their skill set. Um, so yeah, I would like to see certification and education um, kind of mandated across regions yeah. um, just to weed out um, some of the people in the industry who really have no business working on people's homes. Exactly. I think one of the other things that hasn't been really broadcast enough is earning scale for this kind of business. And, you know, I worked with the Connecticut home builders several years ago on trying to develop some uh, training for uh, skills in the high schools. And I did a little research of the Connecticut websites and found out that probably half of the businesses that they track made less money than a well-qualified like foreman carpenter. And it's, I don't think parents are being told uh, the possibilities in terms of income. And that certainly as you develop into a contractor, it's amazing how well you can do in terms of a financial situation. Absolutely. And you know, uh, I, I know of a of a, a roofing contractor out in the Denver, Colorado area, and so here's here's a kind of a a story I like to to reflect on is because, you know, roofing is a very hard trade. Mm-hmm. It's very hard on your body. Um, it's tough to envision yourself at 45, 50 years old, still knocking roofs out. You know, when you're 20, when you're in your 20s, and even your 30s, and you're still invincible. Um, you know, you can get into that trade, but some people might think that it's, you know, where are you going to take that? Where are you going to take that experience if you get into actually, you know, humping the shingles to the roof and learning how to flash a valley and doing all that work? Where are you going to go? Because you're not going to be able to do this work for the next 15, 20, 25 years. But the rea- reality is, is that doesn't have to be your path. You know, you can take that experience, transition into a business operator and make a very, very good living being a roofing uh, company. Um, and so like, that's what I, you know, you know, that's what I, I don't want to look anybody in the face. I don't want to look at any child or any student or any um, professional, you know, who might be you know entertaining what they actually want to do with their life and tell them that they should go to the trades if they don't have any inclination that they might ha- find value in it. And so what I don't want to do is I think what Steve had mentioned is, you know, so many kids these days are being tracked. You know, they're being tracked to go into college. And what I don't want, because we have this need and this demand, is to just pivot that mindset and then take aim at a whole cohort of students and kids and say, you know what, you should go into the trades now. Because there's plenty of kids who are not going to find value or happiness in the trades. What we're trying to do with Keep Craft Alive is to try to raise awareness that for those who have interest in the trades, well, that we respect that, we find value in it, you can make a great living, you could live a very fulfilled life if you do, in fact, decide to pursue a career in the trades. So it's really just recognizing the talent and the interests of the individual. 
you know, and yeah. honoring that and creating pathways for them to to have that realized. It gets a little little deep, um, yeah. but that's that's the ultimate objective, you know. Yeah, absolutely. So what what is keep craft alive? What what is that, and and how are you involved in that? Sure. So keep craft alive is you know find home buildings initiative to kind of address this skills gap. Um, it's only been around for geez, maybe two years at this point. Um, I started that hashtag in my own personal social media feed. I'm okay. not, the, I'm not the kind of guy. That's why you'll often see it in context. You'll see it with a hashtag in front of it because it started in the social space. Okay. I'm not one of those guys who turns the camera or the phone on myself and, and does the selfie thing, you know? So what I really wanted my feed to be was kind of a collection of craftsmen who really did excellent work because not only are we seeing kind of this lack of interest in the trades and the skills gap, but what we're seeing is kind of a, um, a diminishing level of craft in the industry. Um, so not only, not, not only don't, do you have a, a lack of skilled um, laborers, but you have a lack of skilled work being done. And so the quality of home building is, um, is on shaky footing. So my feed, just to kind of expedite the explanation, my feed started with honoring and reflecting on craftsmen that I know from my fine, fine home building experience of guys who are doing top, top level work. And so I started hanging the hashtag on Keep Craft Alive on those images. Um, that gained a little bit of traction. We've got uh, a bunch of contributors and ambassadors for the brand who kind of rallied around the usage of that term. They started posting their own images and using that tag. And really it started to create a community of like-minded people who are passionate about really high quality building. And so, I mean, the numbers are actually astronomical. Um, hundreds of thousands of images a month that are being tagged with this, um, with Keep Craft Alive. Um, millions of people seeing these images uh, month over month. And so it has kind of grown organically to just a way for people to celebrate the work that they're doing and to show pride in the work that they're doing. And so then what I've done is like, I, th this, this is growing. I need to formalize it and actually make it, make it impactful, you know? So of course it's all about that community um, awareness and collaboration and inspiration, but I really wanted to address this issue that we're talking about today, the skills gap. Sure. So we set up a scholarship fund with skills USA, the fine home building, keep craft alive scholarship fund. And every year um, for the past two years, and we're going strong this year, is where um, we're awarding scholarships to students in multiple trade disciplines, um, whether it's plumbing, electrical, HVAC, carpentry, et cetera, um, awarding them scholarships to continue their education um, to career training. And if they've got an interest in advancing their skill set and their knowledge base, then we're creating a fund and an opportunity for them to do so. Um, well, that, sound, that sounds really, really cool because it costs money to it train does. It's an amazing amount of money that it really takes to train people. And like I suggested, I worked a little bit with Connecticut home builders uh, several years back now. And one of the trouble that problems that we had was convincing builders, particularly the remodelers seem to be kind of on board, but even at the point where it said, okay, pony up some money, mm -hmm. everybody seemed resistant to uh, really kicking in their dollars for whatever reason. And I guess I'm, my question is, do, do you have any ideas on how to pull some of these people who are really making good living off this industry, pull them into spending a little bit of money to train some of these craftsmen that we need? 
Yeah, that's a, that's a tough, um, that's a tough issue because of course I think it comes down to the person, right? The kind of business operator and the kind of person who sees value in reinvesting um, into the industry that has um, fostered the lifestyle that they enjoy. (laughs) Right. Right. Um, So that's a delicate way of putting it. Um, But yeah, I do want to create opportunities for them to give back. And that's why we've created this fund. Um, You know, we do, you know, very grassroots level kind of fundraising in terms of selling Keep Craft Alive uh, t-shirts that that, that helps and and actually generates a significant amount of money to the scholarship fund, but more so, and I'll get into this in a little bit, uh, that t-shirt has Keep Craft Alive emblazoned on the front of it in almost an obnoxious uh, font, you know, very large (laughs) scale. And every time I wear my t-shirt, it fosters the conversation around what does that mean? And that's part of this initiative is to engage and foster dialogue about what it means to work with your hands for a living. And so right. if you're wearing that t-shirt and you're at the store and you get to engage with someone who has no connection to the industry whatsoever, and you can communicate that you're an articulate, responsible, um, passionate and happy guy working in the trades, it's going to have a resounding impact on the collective point of view of craft and, and, and trade work as a culture. And that's, and that's the, that's the meat of this. You know, we, we have to change what it means to, um, and change that perception of what it means to work in the trades. Otherwise it's always going to have that stigma attached to it. And we're always going to be kind of in this, uh, we're always going to be one step behind, so to speak. So when you, when you're funding a scholarship for somebody that comes out of skills USA, where, where are they going? What it, what is it that they're doing to enhance their education at that point? In other words, who are you? Where does the money go? Yeah, uh, in so, terms of their education. So, to, to be quite honest, we're we're a little bit loose in in where we dictate and require that money to be spent because some of those kids coming out of high school will, in fact, choose to go into post secondary school, you know, school, and they may get a construction management uh, degree, okay. or they may further their uh, they may you know get certain certifications, whether they're in HVAC or electrical. Um, down to, they might even use some of those funds to, to kit up, so to speak, and get a few of the tools that enable them to continue either coursework or to get that apprenticeship or to just get that first job. Um, I see value in all those, in all those avenues. Is there any chance that the United States will ever have an apprenticeship program like, like Canada does in residential? I know they're still going on in commercial. I understand that, but I, travel back and forth to Canada quite a lot and they have a very structured apprenticeship program and it comes across as people actually want to be involved in it. So I'm wondering, is that anything you've thought about or? Yeah, I, I have, cause we've reflected on it in conversations here around the office too. And the same reference that you're, that you're bringing up now is that Canadian reference. And it's a, it's a very structured track and it's a very demanding track. And I think it, I think it produces really uh, high caliber quality tradesmen. Um, is that going to happen here in the United States? It will happen when this skills gap uh, creates enough of an issue where it not only impacts industry, but it fundamentally impacts our economy that people start paying attention. <laughs> yeah. I guess it, when it comes right down to the money, people yep. start listening when it gets yeah. down to that. Yeah. Yep. So Absolutely. We're not there yet. I mean, what's, what, what's it looking like? You know, I, I, I think we're pretty close. You know, I hear, I hear time and time again, whether you're a big scale developer out in the, in the West, in the Midwest, um, or you're, you're a manufacturer, it's, 
it's it's hurting the financial equations of of some pretty uh, prominent businesses in this industry. And so I think I think we're there. I think we're going to see some some changes happening over the next you know few years. Absolutely. It, it strikes me that we're still a little bit wild, wild west where you can't tell me what to do. And therefore, you know, I'm not going to get into some government program, but hopefully, right. hopefully we're going to get something really going here. Well, that's, you know, you know, I think to your point, you know, I think, and you know, if you're you know a parent of a child, you obviously want the best for your child, but, and, and, and I will reflect on my own experience working for various people in the trades um, when I was younger is um, oftentimes you know, jobs aren't really treated as a career. You know, you get in, you get linked up with the crew, maybe you get paid cash under the table. Um, that's not a career. Right. And so you're not entering a very sustainable or a stable, you know, to some degree uh, environment where, you know, a couple of our ambassadors, Aaron Butt, for instance, he's a fine home building brand ambassador and he works for a really boutique uh, building company on the North shore uh, in Massachusetts. And, he, he has entered this, this, uh, this firm. He does very high-end carpentry work. He gets uh, health insurance. He gets uh, a 401k account. You know, it's a, it's a career, you know, and it's treated as such. Um, and I think that has a resounding impact on the perception of, uh, of what we're talking about here, too. Sounds really good. So as we're starting to wrap up a little bit, anybody listening in on this podcast, what could you tell them uh, about skills training, uh, getting engaged with keep craft alive, what, what might be a final nugget you'd give to them? So ultimately I think if people want to know more, they should go to keepcraftalive.org. Um, find out a little bit of more information about the initiative that we're pushing here. If they want to get in touch with me, they could do so. There's contact information on that page. Um, I'm willing to explore opportunities in various regions, whether it's events, whether it's training seminars, whether it's, um, just speaking engagements to get the word out. Um, we're really at that stage where we're, where this is growing. This movement has, has grown substantially over the past couple of years, but I'm still looking for opportunities to kind of uh, spread the word, so to speak. And then if I was going to, you know, if I could just recommend just one thing to someone listening to this podcast is invite a student, invite a kid onto your job site and explain what it is that you do and the value that you find in it and give them a chance to, maybe ex- execute a simple task. And if, and if you could just do that for one kid and just make it, you know, give him the opportunity to realize the joy that you get and the sense of accomplishment that you get with working with your hands, I think that's going to go a long, long way. One of the things I found out while I was working with the Connecticut Home Builders was that the unions send people to the trade schools on a monthly or even bi-monthly basis to talk to the kids. And a lot of the kids end up going out to the, the unions in terms of carpentry. And so what I would add here, I guess, to anybody is get involved in the schools, get involved in the industry, get involved in something that will bring new people into this business because it'll change the future for us, but we can't sit back and just wait for it to happen. Absolutely. So, uh, Rob, with your presence on social media, the first time I saw Keep Craft Alive was on Instagram, and I've been amazed at what's been going on there. How did that, really quickly, how did that kind of happen is where the hashtag started to take off? And I know there's a number of uh, contractors that I just love to follow, watch the work that they do. Uh, Did did you guys kind of intersect there or did, did one find the other? How did that happen? 
Um, you know, I think, you know, <laughs> it's funny. I think it has grown to such a scale that some people don't fully uh, realize the the really structured initiative we have behind the hashtag. They just think it's a hashtag on social media yeah. where you could find a whole bunch of cool photos of, of guys doing great work. Um, you know, I think we definitely seeded the conversation, so to speak, um, again, with some of our ambassadors who have, uh, you know, lots of social followers, uh, with some of our contributing writers and authors to the magazine. Um, so I think collectively this kind of core community around fine home building has really jump-started it. And I think it has just kind of spread like wildfire through not only Instagram, but, uh, Facebook and Twitter and all the social platforms. Yeah. Well, I was at your event in uh, Orlando, and it was ama- amazing. The energy was just off the charts. So I really applaud what you're doing. We all do here, and and we want to thank you uh, for being a part of this show. How can people find you? So, um, you again, you could you could uh, if you want more information on the initiative, you go to keepcraftalive.org. Um, otherwise, you go to findhomebuilding.com, where you could find a great many articles and videos on on best building practices. And if you're also interested into the how-to side of building, uh, we have the Fine Home Building podcast. Um, it's published every week, and it's a kind of a Q&A format show where we answer reader questions or listener questions, rather, around their building challenges. And uh, we've, got a, we've got a lot of fun doing that, for sure. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, guys. I really appreciate it. So, Tim, uh, another fantastic guest. I mean, that was an important one right there. Yes, indeed. Really, really important. And I am just psyched about, uh, I don't know, his his enthusiasm and his zeal for getting some people into the trades and helping the industry. I, I was just uh, very excited about it. Yeah. Well, for everyone listening, uh, you know, to help support that cause, definitely go to keepcraftalive.org. Purchase one of those T-shirts. I've seen them. They're great. So once again, we would like to thank Rob Yeagid. Uh, for joining us today and thank you for listening to another episode of the tim fowler show remember we're helping the bottom line through production training this has been another episode of the tim fowler show want to hire tim and fast track your growth visit remodelersadvantage.com consulting to learn more and if you'd like more information about roundtables our world-class peer advisory program please send me an email at steve at remodelersadvantage.com. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to the show and comment on iTunes. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.